Now, it's really interesting if you look around the world and if you look, uh, and especially here in Victoria, that the, the focus for the leadership and for the politicians is not on churches. It's not on places of faith. Now, that should not surprise us. These people are not for God. They are for themselves. And this is hence why we are waiting uh, and, and looking with interest to when they can actually up the number for churches and places of faith for more people to come indoors together. Currently, it is up to 20. And as you know, our church is more than that. Uh, and my understanding is that on the 22nd of February or November, that that number can go up to 40, which is not generally who we, you know, we're a bigger number than that. But once we get to that number, uh, I certainly will have a look at the options we can roll out to start to come together. Failing that, uh, we are planning, me and Leonie are planning to have a get-together anyway with the church for a shared lunch in a park somewhere. But I'll give you more information about that once it comes closer to that decision. Now, I want to continue talking today to you in the Word of God. And last week we saw the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. And we saw that He came on a donkey, which represented peace. And we need peace in our world today. We need Jesus in our world to bring peace. He is the peacemaker. And He came and they rejected Him. And even today, people are rejecting the peacemaker. They don't want Jesus to come on his donkey. And if he's not going to come on his donkey to you, as I've ended last week saying, he's actually going to come on his horse. And when he comes on his horse, as written in Revelation chapter 19, that is to come and make war. Now, I want you to notice in that specific passage there that it is only Jesus's rope that is filled with blood, not his armies. It's nowhere written there. Uh, that his armies who's coming with him, their robes were filled with blood. And I, th I believe there's a specific reason for that, and that is that this war that's coming in Revelation chapter 19 is his war, and we're just going to be eyewitnesses to that. So we saw that last week, and today I want to talk to you about what happens to pretenders. And you and I know what a pretender is. It's somebody who pretends to be something they are not. And we're going to see today in, as we continue with Jesus and as we walk with him, what happens to pretenders. And we're also seeing now that things are happening in quick fashion. Jesus is back in Jerusalem. The Passover started and we know now that this will be his last Passover. Because he will eventually be taken captive and he will go to the cross where he died for our sins. The perfect work that the Father sent him to this earth is to die for our sins. And this is going to eventuate. So things are happening really quickly now. And we're going to see today that there is something that's going to happen. And we're going to answer our question around what happens to pretenders. Now, I want you to open up in your Bible in Mark and in chapter 11, and we're going to look at verse from verse 12. Now, from verse 12 to 14, it talks about a fig tree. And then sandwiched in between that, 
is the cleansing of the temple. And we find that from verse 15 to 19, where Jesus goes into the temple and he cleanses it out. And we will get to that next week. And then it continues back in verse 20 to 26, back to the fig tree. Now, I just want to say before I start preaching and teaching out of this passage, that I don't believe that anything in the Bible is just by chance. I don't believe it was written just like that by chance. You know, we're talking about a fig tree and then we talk about the cleansing of the temple. We're coming back to the fig tree. You will see today that everything is connected, even this passage that we're going to look uh, to today. And a lot of the meaning of the fig tree, which I'm going to read to you, has got to do with the cleansing of the temple as well. So without any further ado, let's just look in Mark chapter 11 and read the narrative. And then I'll unpack it as we continue. In Mark chapter 11 verse 12, it says, Now the next day, when they had come from Bethany, he was hungry. This is Jesus now. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he could find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, this is to the fig tree, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard this. Now this is where we leave that. And then we go into the temple and we see him clean, cleaning the temple or cleansing the temple. We come back in verse 20. Now I want to come back and read to you verse 20 now. Mark eleven twenty. Now in the morning as they passed by, the next morning, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Now this for some people is a very troubling passage. There is even some scholars who say that this never happened. It was only written in and, and uh, it was only thing that the, the, the disciples thought about. I disagree with that because Matthew writes ab about this tree as well. And this is not a parable. It's not something that Jesus told as a story. And this is what a parable is. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly message or a meaning. This is not a parable. This, my dear friends, is something that actually happened. And I believe this with every fiber in my body. That Jesus went to this tree and he, he cursed the tree when he said that, no one will eat from you again. That the tree dried up within 24 hours. Now, if you read the account of Matthew, it says that immediately after Jesus has said these words, that it dried up. Whether it's that, whether it's 24 hours, it doesn't matter. What matters is that this tree literally dried up from the roots right through the whole tree. Imagine yourself looking at this fig tree with the green leaves and it looks so so lusty and everything. And the next moment or the next day, even the green leaves, every single thing on the tree is bone dry, dead. What a Lord we serve. 
And we see here that Jesus is proving himself to be Lord over nature again. We found other passages where he showed this. Remember when the disciples were in the little boat on the lake and when the storm started blowing up against us, what happened? Jesus spoke against that and he calmed the sea, Lord over nature. Last week we saw him Lord over people. He was crowned the king by the people, the son of David. Now we see him Lord over over nature again so let's just look at a first observation at what i just read to you it talks about this fig tree with leaves now when i was a boy growing up in our yard in south africa in a place called stillfontein we had two fig trees and i know all about fig trees we lived in that house for i think it is the best part of seven years and every single year I saw these fig trees. We gave them water, we nurtured them. And one thing about fig trees which I've learned, and you can go and check this up as well, what I've learned is that when you start seeing the leaves coming out, you can also see the fruit starting to come out as well. So fig trees, if you generally see the leaves, you know that the fruit will also be on the tree. And this is what stands out in this whole uh, passage here, is that when Jesus saw the tree from afar off, he could see the leaves. Now, if you see the leaves, you expect the fruit. And it says in the passage that he was hungry and he walked up to this tree to find some fruit. Now, you might ask, what is the problem here then? What is the problem? Because... If you look at this, it's not that the tree did not have fruit. That wasn't the problem, if you think about this. And I'll show this to you. You'll say, but wait a minute, preacher. He was looking for fruit, but he couldn't find fruit. And that's why he cursed the tree. Now, let me unpack it for you. Just, just have a look. He says that he looked for fruit and there was no fruit, for it was not the season for figs. So the season wasn't there. The problem is that the tree had leaves and he did not have figs. So what was the thing that attracted Jesus? It wasn't the fruit at first. It was the leaves. That was what was attracting Jesus. When he was hungry and he saw afar off this tree and then he thought by himself, when this leaves on the tree they must be fruit you see the leaves said there is figs here come over but the figs weren't there and this is the problem the tree is in other words falsely advertising something that he did not have and this is what we call a pretender or a word that we hear so so much in our days it is faking it it is faking something which is not. Another word for it could be hypocrisy. But this is what a pretender is. When he says, come over here. Look at all my leaves. Look at all the things I can do. But there's no fruit. And this was the problem. It says it clearly there in the passage. It was not the season for figs. And I know there's an early season and a mid-season and a late season in figs. 
But the writer, which is in this case Peter telling it to Mark, and even, you know, when Matthew writes about this, there was not the season for figs. But there were leaves on the tree, and it was pretending to do something. You can actually say it was a counterfeit, because it showed this. Now, I absolutely believe, if you look at this passage here, that it was a prophetic word for the nation of Israel. And I just want to put a disclaimer in here as well, that I'm by far not saying that because Jesus cursed the fig tree, I'm by far not saying that Jesus cursed the nation of Israel. In fact, the Bible warns against that. The Bible says those who curse Israel will be cursed, and those who bless Israel will be blessed. And let it be known, even today, that God has not forgotten Israel. And this is why this preacher will not curse Israel. God has still got a plan and a purpose for Israel. And I'm not talking about the Messianic Jews here. I'm talking about Orthodox Israel. Because they will still, one, they understand and see who their real king is, the one whom they rejected. Now this is the prophetic word to them. And this is what I say that when we read this passage and, and whenever we do a study in the Bible, we need to bring it into context. This is one of the biggest rules in the Bible. Context, context, context. And when I talk about context, it's not just one verse putting it into the context of the paragraph or putting it into the context of the page. No, you need to put it into the context of the chapter and the whole book. And when you put it into context, you need to see whom this is written to and what it is all about. And in this particular case, I absolutely believe that this is a prophetic word. And it, it is in fact not only a prophetic word about the nation of Israel, but it is a prophetic play in action. In other words, there's something that happens here which they all could see. And this is addressing the nation of Israel. Now, it's not only the nation of Israel. We need to listen as well. Because we are, according to the word of God, grafted into the olive tree. Now, the olive tree is another uh, a sign of Israel. And we as Gentiles were grafted into that. So when this prophetic word goes out to them, it could be. It could be. I shouldn't use the word could be. I, w I wanted to say that it is definitely that there is fig trees with a lot of leaves and no fruit sitting in churches today. I think you know what I mean. This is coming right down to the meaning of the individual. It, it could be that even in our church, in Kingsway, Karim Downs, there could be uh, fig trees with a lot of leaves and no fruit. This is why we need to check our hearts. We need to look deep into our own soul and not point finger to other brothers and sisters when these messages in the Holy Spirit laid upon our hearts. So figs had a special meaning in the Old Testament and in prophecy. And it symbolizes Israel's fruit of spiritual fulfillment. Think about this. The Lord uses in the Old Testament, God uses in the Old Testament a lot of times a vineyard, the vine, and a fig tree as representation of the nation of Israel. And when we look at this here, we see that 
this is a symbolizing of Israel's fruit that they needed to show and shine as a spiritual fulfillment. You and I know that Israel is God's chosen people, his chosen nation. And we see and we know all of the blessings that he gave that nation. Everything that is done for that nation. And here we see now that he's actually speaking in a prophetic way. Now, God poured out his love on them. He poured out his long suffering on them. And if I talk about that as well, I want you to know that he's even doing it to you as his child. He pours out his love upon you. His long suffering. His tender, tender mercies. His loving kindness, which the Bible says is better than life. He pours it all out on you. And what is he expecting in return? The fruit. How do we carry that fruit? We need to be grafted into the vine. It's his fruit which needs to shine through our lives. Now, let's just go back and I'll show you what I mean that this is a prophetic word to the nation of Israel. If you look at Micah chapter 7 verse 1, listen carefully. When the prophet speaks, he speaks on the authority of God. He says, woe is me. For I am like those who gather summer fruits, like those who glean vintage grapes. There is no cluster to eat of the first ripe fruit which my soul desire. So here is God speaking through the prophet Micah. And he says to his people, because these prophets in the Old Testament were prophesying to the nation of Israel. He was prophesying to them. It's God's word to his people. And he comes to them in this particular verse and he says, I am like the wine dresser. I am like, you know, the gardener. I'm, I'm like the one who look after the harvest. And he says, I come and I want to gather summer fruits. I want to, in the summer, I want to have ripe figs on the fig tree. And he says, I come to my vintage of grapes. But he says, but then there is no cluster of eat of the first ripe fruit. And then he says these words, which my soul desire. We need to read a lot of it. We need to understand a lot of this. That it's God's. It is Jesus' desire. His soul desire to eat the fruit that we produce. As his vintage as his trees of righteousness. In Isaiah, another prophet comes out and he says in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 10, he says, I found Israel like grapes. There, you see, this is what I mean that he uses these, these figures, you know, he uses here Israel and he says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits of the fig tree and its first season. Now, this is God speaking through Hosea. He says, I see Israel as a vineyard, as grapes in the wilderness. You don't find grapes. I mean, you don't cultivate grapes in the wilderness. But God says, look, it's still my vineyard. I still look upon them, even in the wilderness. And then he said, I saw your fathers as the first fruit of the fig tree in the first season. And again, you remember what the previous uh, prophet said, Micah, he says, my soul desires 
this fruit in summer. But there is then another word which he says, and I'm not going to cut the verse off there. He says, I saw your fathers. He says, but what happened? What happened to the fig tree? What happened to the vineyard? He says, but they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves to that shame that they became an abomination like the thing they loved. And here we find a clue of what Jesus is going through here in Mark when he comes to this tree, which is a prophetic representation of the nation. Here we find the clue in our Uzziah. You see, it is a physical thing. Jesus did see this tree. And when he saw the tree, he saw the fig leaves on there. And it means there's fruit there. And now, like Micah said, his soul desired. It says he was hungry in the passage when Mark speaks about it. But what is it different to say that my soul hungers after? And this is what Micah said. He, he soul desired and God's soul desire today, my friend, when he looks at you, when he looks at me and he, and he looks at our, you know, our lifestyles and I look what we do on a daily basis. He desired to see the fruit of righteousness in our lives. And this wasn't there. Why? Because he says that their fathers, they went after Baal Peor, it's false gods. And the Bible says we should not have any other gods except and before God. They went after false gods. We, we see today that even the church is going after false gods after the world. And they separated themselves to that shame that they became an abomination like the things they've loved. Now, Jesus is coming to his people and expect this fruit. When he came to his nation, he expect the fruit of righteousness. When he came to the tree, he expect the physical figs on the tree. When he comes to you and me, he expects fruit on us and find, found none. So we see that his disappointment in this passage turns then into judgment. He speaks to the tree and he says to that tree there, he says, no one will eat of your fruit ever again. That is a very harsh word. It's a word that you and I don't want to know, don't want to hear. But you see, there was another prophet who was talking about this particular words that Jesus said. In Jeremiah chapter 8 verse 13, he says, I will surely consume them. This is now, I want you to think about the judging God now, okay? The loving God, but also the judge in righteousness. And through this prophet, he comes again to his own people, to the nation of Israel. And he says to them through him, he says, I will surely consume them consume them says the Lord no grapes shall be on the vine in other words there will be no prosperity there will be no fruit they will do all the hard work but there will be no harvest 
and he says there will be none on the vine. Now he comes back to the fig tree. He says, nor figs on the fig tree and the leaf shall fade. Listen carefully, my dear friend. Listen carefully. Nothing in the Bible happens by chance. And this excites me so much. Here we find it. Jesus speaks to this fig tree and he, who's got these, these lush leaves and it's calling it in and it, it looks good, but it's only pretending. It's only faking it. And here the, 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 the warnings was already long time out in the Old Testament when he says, nor figs on the tree and the leaf shall fade and the things I have given them shall pass away from them that is another harsh word which was laid upon the nation of israel and it is so applicable to us and again now this is in the old testament but i want you to think about another man now in the new testament a man by the name of john the baptist and you remember when john the baptist was down at Bethabara when he was baptizing people and a lot of people came to him he came he looked like a prophet and for 400 years it's called the silent years between the old testament and the new testament uh when jesus came and introduced the church age and dispensation of grace that there was no prophet there nobody spoke to them it was only these pharisees who were standing on the law and in the meantime built their own little laws in between and had their religion going on that this man appears all of a sudden he looks like a prophet baptizing people and he preached to them repent for the kingdom of god is at hand and then the pharisees sent uh, uh, people down there pharisees down there to see what's going on here they've never had a commotion like this for 400 years everything was going well according to them but when they saw these people coming together at betabara to be baptized they sent people there and as soon as john the baptist saw them he he said to them you brood of vipers why did you come here you only came here it's like snakes when there's a fire coming and they try to escape the fire coming but then he says the following words which i think it is telling remember what jeremiah said he said you will find no grapes on the vine you will find no figs on the fig tree and even the leaves will wither that's what he said and now we find john the baptist and there in luke chapter 3 verse 8 listen to what he says therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance what is he talking about john the baptist was telling these religious leaders and everybody who can hear him in a year you know where his voice goes to bear what fruit worthy of what of repentance in other words you are a tree and you need to bear fruit not only leaves but he didn't say there you know produce leaves no no he says bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourself we have abram as your father again i want you to understand he's talking to the establishment here abram as your father for i say to you that god is able to raise up children to abram from these stones oh i love this passage because there we go again last week you heard me talking about stones 
you know, we remember when Jesus came into Jerusalem and, uh, and, and the Pharisees, again, these people whom John is talking to about now, they said to Jesus, quiet these people who said to Sana, quiet them. And Jesus said to them, what? What did he say? He said to them, if they be quieted, the stones will cry thee out. You remember that? And they were quieted. So what happens? We are the living stones, Peter says. Yes. Here we find the same thing. I love the word of God. Look at this now. For John said to these Pharisees, he says, For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abram from what? From these stones. And what happened? They did tell everybody we are the children of Abraham. They pretended that they had a good religion. They pretended they were children of faith. But you know what God had to do? He had to raise children to Abram from the stones. I'm one of those stones, a living stone built into the temple of God, into the house of God. But look at these words. It's so telling. He says, we have Abram as our father. Don't say that to yourself. You need to bear what? Fruit of repentance. Having Abram as your father means nothing. You have to bear fruit of repentance. Let me just put it to you in this light. Belonging to a church means nothing. Having a great pastor means nothing. I mean, if, if you are one of those people, and I find it so many times, I find it so many times. You walk up to somebody and you ask them, how is your spiritual life? And the first thing they'd say, oh, we belong to a great, vibrant church. Oh, that word vibrant, don't get me started on that. But what did he say? Don't say, well, I've got Abram. We've got a church. We've got a, no, no, don't say, don't tell me that. Bear fruits of repentance. You see, this word comes back to us as well. It is a prophetic word for the nation of Israel. We get that. But it also talks to each and every one. And now we come to the passage. For listen what he says now. Now see this as a warning. Remember Jeremiah what he said. Remember Micah and all of those. Jeremiah said there will be no uh, fruit on the, on the vines. There will be no figs. And the, and, and the leaves will wither. This beautiful facade that you've got, this pretense, you know, this, this Christian pretense that you've got. And everybody goes, oh, he's a, and she's a great Christian. You know, the beautiful leaves that you're showing. Jeremiah says it will dry up. Now listen. John the Baptist speaks to these people. And he, and he warns them. He says to them in Luke chapter 3 verse 9. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which do not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. They should have heard the warning. So now we see how this is playing out when Jesus comes to this prophetic play in this tree, the fig tree to the nation of Israel. You see, Israel flourished with the leaves of ritual religion. They flourished. I mean, they had the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they had the scribes and they had the robes and they would stand on corners and they would stand and pray these equivalent words of prayers. 
and they would pray it so loud that other people would look at them and they would say, oh, what a beautiful prayer these people are praying. And I've seen it with my own eyes. I've heard it with my own ears in churches. Somebody pray, prays a prayer and, and another person comes to you and say, have you heard that beautiful prayer that they've prayed? It's not about the beautiful prayer. We're going to see now as I continue and finish this passage today that this is going to lead into a lesson in prayer. But, but Israel flourished and they had the leaves only of a ritual religion, but they lacked the fruit of the righteousness of God. The fruit of righteousness that God demanded. And let it be a warning for you and for me. Let it be a warning if you just go to church for play, to pretend. And you know, because you can't lie to yourself, you can't lie to God. And you know if I'm talking to you, or the Holy Spirit touches you in the heart. That God demands fruit. He demands this. And He knows the pretender. And here we find this. Israel flourished so beautiful. Now, why do I say this passage is connected? Because when Jesus walked in there and he sees this tree and there's no fruit, that was the same day that he was on his way to the temple and he was going to cleanse the temple. Why? Because they've made the house of God a house of money. Money exchanging. You see, it became a ritual. It wasn't true anymore. The Spirit of God wasn't there anymore. Now, listen to Isaiah, another prophet. We're on the prophets today, but it's the Word of God. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. Again, he speaks on behalf of God, this prophet, and he says the following. He says, Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their mouths. You, you see, there it is. There is another sign of a leaf, a beautiful leaf. It is with their mouths. They, and they say the most beautiful words. And people listen to that and say, whoa, great Christian. And, and he says, if they draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips. You know, that is singing beautiful songs to God and an oratory work for God. Now comes that word again, but have removed their hearts far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the commandments of men. So this is why I say, you know, if we look at this fig tree, you know, there's people who, who toss this is to and throw, you know, they throw the argument over the fence and then they throw it back and say this, this tree wasn't really, you know, how could this happen? We don't think it's real. No, forget about that. And get the message here. The prophetic message. God is not looking for leaves in your life. He's looking for fruit. And if you just pretend to have fruit and show all of these beautiful leaves, it's going to come to nothing. And I want to say the warning of uh, John the Baptist. The axe is laying at, at, at the root, at the feet of the tree. And this Jesus whose soul desires to get some fruit, that desire will change into judgment if there is no fruit. 
So, like I say, now he's going to go over right into a teaching in prayer. And we'll finish with that today. So, let's read in verse 21. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you've cursed has withered away. Now, let me just back up a little bit and read to you the previous verse because otherwise I'm using it out of context. Remember, he came out, he saw the tree, he was looking for for, for fruit on it, couldn't find it. He said, let no one eat uh, fruit from you ever again. They went into the temple. Okay, and we're going to see that next week. But in Mark chapter 11, verse 20, the next morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. This is now that Peter says the following in verse 21. He says, and Peter, remembering it, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you've cursed that withered away. Now, one would have said that Jesus would have gone, wow, and everybody, wow, the fig tree. And this is what I mean by that. This is just what I mean. There's so many people fixated on how could this be? How could this fig tree dried up? Even Peter, even, even Peter. He only saw the fig tree. Wow! How could that happen? Well, we know he's Lord of over nature. He should have known it already because he was in the boat when Jesus calmed the storm. Hello? But here we find him now saying, Whoa, look at this, Jesus. The fig tree is dead. And instead of Jesus going, Wow, what happened? No, no. He goes straight into, straight into a teaching about prayer. That just proves the point. Don't get caught up on things where people want to confuse you and say, did this really happen? Is it a parable or not? No, no, it actually happened. And I believe that. Now let's see how Jesus reacts to, to Peter's reaction. Verse 22, so Jesus answered and said to him, have faith in God. Nothing said about the tree. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, this is a really great passage. Because as a young man and not understanding the Bible so much, this particular scripture troubled me. Because I, so many times, uh, looked at big mountains and I thought, wow, if I can pray this mountain to move. And I did. I, I'm going to be honest to you. I remember in, this, in South Africa, in the Sopans, Bergs, mountains, um, wonderful time there. You know, just finished studying as a teacher. My fourth year, we went there uh, on a trip. And I remember vividly sitting on the mountain there and I wanted to test my faith. And I prayed and I said, Lord, move this mountain. And it didn't happen. Wow, what a shock for my faith. But I didn't understand the passage. I didn't understand at all what this passage was about. You see, I did then what so many people are doing. They take the passage out of context. Just think for yourself the chaos it would have been if Jesus meant this physically. And look, for God, nothing is impossible. But what if he meant this physically? It meant that I would sit there and I look at the mountain and I go, in the morning when the sun comes up in the east, I only get sunlight if I live on the western side of the mountain. I only get sunlight by 12 o'clock in the afternoon. I want sunlight earlier. So I say, listen mountain, 
I want you now to move so that I can have morning sunlight. And I put the mountain in another spot. And there's another person there who actually, you know, they they like the mountain where it was. Or they want the mountain in a different place. And they go, I've, I'm going to pray a prayer of faith. Hey, mountain, that person put the mountain here. I don't like the mountain here. I'm going to pray now. Move the mountain to that location. It would have been chaos. And this is by far not what Jesus meant with this passage here. You see, he's going to teach us two lessons in prayer here, and I'm going to quickly get to that. First of all, he says to us, have faith in God. So when we pray, we need to have faith, not in ourselves only, but faith in God. That if we have faith in God, that God can and will do it. He will do it. This is the kind of faith that we need to have. So when he speaks then about a mountain, it is a, figure, a figurative speech that he gives to them. Because they would understand that when he talks about a mountain, it represents an impossible situation in their lives. Because I'm telling you honestly, if you look at Mount Everest, Mount Everest to pray a prayer to move that mighty mountain, it sounds like an impossible thing. And this is what Jesus was portraying to them in a figurative speech. He's using figures all of his teaching. You just go through that. And again, this is not a parable, but this is him saying, this impossible thing in your life, like a mountain, if you have this and you pray and have faith in God, what will happen? He says, and if you don't doubt in your heart, but believes that those things, he says, will be done. Now, that is a lot of faith in prayer. And you see, you see what he's telling them is that faith is often an obstacle to prayer. So that's the message here. People pray, but they do not have faith. And I've heard, I've heard this personally as well. I would sit with somebody and they would pray for some problems in their lives. And it's a wonderful prayer. And we would say, Amen. And we would stand around and we would have coffee and a biscuit or so on. And then immediately that person said, You know, I've, you know, it was great to pray and I'm feeling better. But I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think God's going to do it. Well, that becomes an obstacle. It becomes an obstacle. And, and this is why Jesus says, have faith in God. Now, let me just say, before we go over to the next lesson, that this doesn't mean everything you ask. Because, you know, I've heard people asking for really ridiculous things in their lives. This is for the needs in your life. And if that big massive problem is a need in your life to remove, God will remove it. But there is another lesson that I just want to remind you. There is a condition on this, which the Bible teaches. Not me, the Bible. Now, if you open up in your Bible in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, you will read about one of these conditions. It says, now, this is the confidence that we have in Him. Remember what Jesus said, have faith in God. Who was there when Jesus said this? The disciples. John was one of those disciples. And he took the message to heart. When Jesus said, have faith in God, 
He writes now in the latest, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, he opens up this verse by saying, now this is the confidence that we have in him. Confidence is another word for faith. This is the faith that we have in him. What is the faith, John? That if we ask anything according to what? His will. According to his will. What happens? He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have petitions that we've asked for. In other words, you know, it's got to be according to God's will. These prayers as well. So he says there in verse 24, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And this is so critically important. Like I say, some people pray, but when they get out of prayer, immediately in their hearts they believe that it's not going to happen. It's impossible. It's like a mountain. And this is what Jesus meant by that passage. But then he gives us a second lesson, which is a really important lesson. And maybe I should come back and, you know, preach a little bit more about this because this validates itself for actually a sermon on its own. But you need to hear this. In Mark chapter 11, 25, he says, and whenever you stand praying. Now, I know some people say that you always need to be on your knees when you pray. And some people say that God don't hear you. Absolutely told me one person one day that if you're not kneeling down and hold your hands in a certain way, God doesn't hear your prayers. That's nonsense. Because here Jesus himself says, and whenever you stand praying, it, it was custom sometimes for them to pray. If you look at the Orthodox Jews at the waning wall, they stand, uh, you know, against the wall. Now, I'm by far not saying that they, you know, some of them are, pray, you know, praying um, outright. But, but he says here, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. So there's one obstacle for prayer already mentioned, and that's faith. Here is a second obstacle, and that is unforgiveness. It's a massive obstacle. And again, I say I can preach a whole sermon on it, and maybe I should. He says, if you have anything against anyone, what does anyone mean? Come on, you tell me. It means anyone. If you have anything against anyone forgive them that your father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses now he says in verse 26 but if you do not forgive neither will your father in heaven forgive your trespasses now you say how can it be an obstacle for prayer i'm going to show that to you isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 if you want to open up there uh in the meantime he says um in this particular passage that when you stand pray you need to you need to forgive someone if you have anything against them he doesn't say if they came and ask you for forgiveness he doesn't say if they came and say sorry no no he says if you have it what do you need to do forgive them other words it could be a hindrance to your prayers it could be that God will not hear and answer your prayers. You say, prove it to me. Isaiah 59 verse 2, he says that our iniquities 
has become, you know, you know, he's, let me, I'm just quoting it out of my, uh, just bear with me. He says that God's ear is not uh, short to hear and his hand is not short to help. God is there to help us. He wants to hear us and hear our prayers and help us. He says in that passage, but our iniquities has become what? Has become a, a wall because, in fact, let me just open up in my Bible here and I'm, I'm going to read the verse to you because I think it is important for you to to hear this verse in its correct um, passage. So I'm just going to open up Isaiah chapter 59 and we're going to go to verse 2. He says, or verse 1, he says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. In other words, God wants to hear your prayers. And when you come to him and you say to him, Lord, I've got this mountain in my way. And if you have faith in God, it's still, this passage says that his hand is there. He can stretch so far and long with his hand to come to you and help you. His ear is not heavy that he can't hear. But there's a problem here. There's a problem. What's the problem? Verse 2. But your iniquities, your sins, have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. This is important. Unforgiveness is a sin. It says it right there in that passage. He says, if you have something against a brother or sister, forgive them that your Father in heaven also may forgive you your trespasses. In other words, if you, and I just gave you the scripture in Isaiah 59, your trespasses, your sins against God hinders his ear is heavy then for you and his hand is short for you because of those things. So those are the two lessons out of this. One, if you pray, have faith in God that He can do it. Two, do not let unforgiveness become a hindrance for the prayers that you pray. So let me answer the question. What happens to pretenders? We started off as your theme with saying that. Well, you saw it in the fig tree. Pretenders... Their leaves will wither. Their roots will wither. The axe is against the roots. It will be chopped off and thrown into the fire. God's not looking for pretenders. He's looking for children. And you come to Him when you are born from above. Born again. And let me just finish by saying this. The time is near, my brother and sister. If you look around the world and you see what's coming, our lives is going to change. It's already changed. And if there's anybody out there to hear me now who looks into this camera from the other side, who's not made a commitment to Jesus Christ, who hasn't fallen on their knees and, you know, committed them to Jesus and confessed his sin to him, I highly, highly recommend you do it as soon as possible. Do it and come to Jesus so that he can hear you. May the Lord bless you and may he keep you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word today. 
Father, we ask you to help us to show in our lives if we are pretenders. If there's any viber in our beings, in your soul, Lord, which is pretending. We want to be open and transparent for you and live in righteousness. Father, help us in prayer. Help us to have that faith in God that when we pray for the mountains in our lives to move, that they move. And then, Father, help us with unforgiveness. That if we do foster something against anybody, Lord, that we forgive them so that you may forgive our trespasses. In Jesus' name, amen.